Praise the Lord, I saw the light. Have you seen the light? We saw the light, we're supposed to be the light. How many people have your Bible? If you do, stand up and hold your Bible above your head. Bear witness of God's Word. Beautiful. You may be seated. Turn, if you will, to the book of 2 Corinthians, chapter 10, the book of Psalms 91. 2 Corinthians 10, Psalms 91. When you find your place, say, I have it. There's just something sweet about coming together in the middle of the week, isn't there? I need it when it gets to be Wednesday, don't you? And I need you. I need the fellowship. I need to be able to, to read God's Word and hear, hear that, that Word affirmed back. It's good for me. It's good for you. But you know, when we go any length of time without hearing God's Word, you realize there's a weakness that comes upon us. We subject ourselves to that weakness when we take ourselves away from the Word. And so he tells us that our strength is going to come from the word that he, he speaks to us. It's a, you know, it's something that somebody lost is not going to understand. But you can bear witness of it. If you've been a Christian for any time at all, you know that when you remove yourself from the word of God, and maybe you get it at, at different occasions in little bites, and still you don't find yourself as close. There's something about sanctifying a time where you Sit down, you listen to the Word of God expounded. God speaks to you, you're reading His Word. That's something that He instructed us to do back from the beginning of the early church. It says they met together and they studied the apostles' doctrine. Then they had fellowship, they broke bread and they had prayer. But God grows us through His Word. It's precious to me. I've been so excited about tonight. I know it's our Wednesday Bible study. We're in truth class, as we've been calling it on Wednesday night. Different sermons, but all in the, the theme of the truth, God's truth. Last week, we talked about applying this one certain truth to all areas of our life. Does anybody remember what that truth is? Jesus is Lord. There you go. Jesus is Lord is the truth that we can apply or that we should apply to ourselves. And do you remember why we were talking about applying that truth? Well, we read in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, and we read that there's going to be a, a battle against what we know is truth. And if you're a Christian, what you know is truth, and what you've accepted is truth, is Jesus your Lord. When you accept Him as your Savior, you accept that He is who God says He is, the Son of God. That he is and was the sacrifice for your sin. That he lived a perfect life, that he died a sacrificial death, and that through him you can come to God. That he makes intercession for you, that he's your mediator, that he's your companion. That he lives in you after salvation in the form of the Holy Spirit. That he'll strengthen you. And I could go on and on, but those truths, you accept him to be who he is. But there are places in our mind that Paul describes in 2 Corinthians 10 as strongholds. And in these places in our mind, these strongholds, we put these certain things in our life that we don't want to expose to God. 
These things that we might say, well, we've done for a while and we're trying to keep, we're trying to quit doing this. Or we, we make the comment, you might hear it come out of your own mouth. Well, I've been battling with this for a while, knowing it's something that God doesn't want you to do. I keep battling with this one thing. Well, the reason that you keep battling with it, the reason that I would keep battling with it is that we haven't exposed it. We haven't realized our guilt. We haven't confessed our guilt. We haven't truly had it cleansed and given it to God. You say, well, oh no, I've given it to God. We might have given it to God. And I gave you the example. We might have showed it to God briefly, but we haven't truly exposed it to God. Jesus is Lord is the truth that we have to put anything in our life that's in our mind and our actions in front of. In other words, if we were to come to Jesus himself and expose this thing that keeps coming in our mind or this thing that we keep struggling with that we know God isn't pleased with, if we were to come and truly expose it and bring it into the obedience of Jesus Christ means that we would put it on display and say, are you happy with this Jesus? Can I continue to do this in peace of mind? Well, truthfully, we can't stand in front of Jesus who would judge any sin and be okay with what he would say if we, knows, if we know it goes against him, right? So in 2 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul writes this. He says, verse 3, for though we walk not in the flesh, for, excuse me, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bring into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. These strongholds are things that us Christians don't want to admit that we have. Sometimes we feel like, well, we're doing good in a lot of areas. This one area I'm struggling with, but surely that area, that area is not going to stop me from being in great fellowship with God because I've got all these other areas. Have you ever had that thought? Like I'll work on this, but I, I've got all these things under control. Anybody ever have that thought? Of course we do. Bringing all these things in the obedience of Christ or, or putting them under the obedience of Christ, every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God. So sin exalts itself against the knowledge of God. If God says something is wrong and you have a sin, that's exalting it against the knowledge of God. But any kind of knowledge that you're hearing out here, anything that somebody might tell you that goes against what God says is against the knowledge of God. If you put that that um, I guess that, that theology or that philosophy against the Word of God, against the Holy Spirit, and you truly expose it to that, then God will show you that it's against Him. So if you apply Jesus is Lord, because when you accept Him, you accepted the truth of Him, then you will see that sin is exposed. We think it's just sin that we need to expose to Him. But we need to apply the truth of the Lord or the truth that Jesus is Lord to the area of our life that materializes thoughts and worry. So I want to talk about our thought life where worry starts and fear starts. But I want to talk about it in a different way than you might hear other people talking about it. Our thoughts materialize as we process information, right? But if you're processing information that you're not sure is true, then your worry or fear 
that comes from that information that might not be true becomes something that you're creating in your mind as truth that you worry about, especially if you're owning what you hear. Now, this is going to be very timely for what we're going through. And I, I say I'm excited to bring it to you. You might chase me out of here before we leave. But regardless, if I'm chased out of here with the Lord by my side, I'm fine. I hear a lot of untruth. You hear a lot of untruth. I'm watching a lot of untruth. I see untruth everywhere. Not just as some people think, well, hey, they are giving all the untruth. No, there's untruth everywhere. Truth to me is something that can be validated by the Word of God, can be validated by the Holy Spirit, can be validated by the person of Jesus that lives in me, right? That's the only truth that can be validated. But the worry or fear that comes from something we think is going to happen, well, that's worry and fear that that comes from an unvalidated truth. And Christians everywhere are living in a state of worry and fear based on information that is unvalidated truth. My warning, and I know I'm speaking on behalf of God, it's to me, it's to you, but my warning is not to accept or spread information that's not validated as truth. We begin to think it's truth because the circle that we run in is consistent in saying the same thing. But we haven't checked the circle. That circle is not correctly dividing the word of truth. So I have to tell you, in these past several days, I've received various calls, various requests to look at this and look at that. Pastor Mike, I'm sending you this. Can you please listen to this? Can you please watch this and tell me what you think? I want to be quick to say, I commend those people for doing that. Because they're trusting. They're saying, hey, I want to run this by you because I respect that you're sharing the truth. Can you tell me? Because I'm in a state of limbo. That is exactly what they need to be doing. Which is different from the person that continually sends me things that they know clearly goes against God's word. And they keep challenging God's word by some movement they're a part of. And they want me to watch this speaker that's, that's reinforcing what they think. I don't give it the credibility of the time that God gives me to watch it from somebody that's not going to be validated by the scriptures, but they're trying to push their own point across, which is clearly against God's agenda. And if you're watching right now, I'm talking to you. The Bible's the same. It hasn't changed. It doesn't say what you want it to say. It says what it says. But for the person, for the person that is truly wanting to know, I applaud them. So when I look over these things and I see that this was shared to somebody on Facebook and this was a, a podcast that was shared and this was a, a YouTube video where this guy is saying this or this guy had a dream and it's a more, it's a more intricate dream than Daniel or Joseph ever, ever was able to to 
explain. I mean, it's got more points than I could remember if I was awake, not, not asleep. I'm not dismissing it now, and I, I don't mean to, and please don't, don't think I'm meaning to, to belittle that. I'm saying that until you know the credibility of the person who is giving you the truth, or the so-called truth, until you know the validity of the truth, then it's not truth. Truth is evidence in reality, not prophecy that's not validated by God's Word. Prophecy that is given by man that's not validated by God's Word is not a prophecy that we yield as truth. Let it sink in. Because what's happening is, when you look and you see the 300,000 viewers that are watching that, that are living in either their spirit of fear or spirit of anger, they have the same response. Oh no, what are we going to do? We need to do this. Have we done this? I don't know what to do. They say this is going to happen. They say that is going to happen. We get back to last Wednesday that they say, right? And when you begin to share it, then you become part of the they say. And the person you're sharing it to is the same one that called me that was at their, their wits end that don't know exactly what to do and they're scared to death. And they've forgotten the biggest truth, which is Jesus is Lord. So I feel inclined to share with you tonight the validated truth. And I want us to be able to get it in one meal, so I'm going to try to get through it. And I want you to be able to share it. And I want you to be able to tell somebody else, hey, if you want to hear the truth, it's validated, because I'm going to give you validation uh, places to look at tonight, right? Psalms 91. While well, you're finding your place, I want to tell you that there is nothing wrong with being prepared for anything that you think may happen. But there is definitely something wrong with living in worry and fear that something may happen. When we do this, we're creating a brand new stronghold. It's a stronghold of worry and fear in our mind that keeps us from rejoicing in the fact that Jesus is Lord. Now listen, Christians. When we spread information that isn't a validated truth, then we're helping to build strongholds in others' minds that are causing them to live in fear and worry instead of trusting God to bring them through it. And you say, I haven't shared anything. Okay, have you shared it in your home? Because now the children who said that Jesus is Lord are scared because the people that they look to are not standing on the truth that Jesus is Lord. This happens when we believe or we share something that we don't know is true instead of sharing the absolute truth that if you make Jesus your Lord, he will walk through every situation with you. God doesn't want us to live in fear. He wants us to live in truth. What truth? The truth that He is God. 
The truth that if we've accepted Jesus as our Lord and Savior, then we're His children. He doesn't want us to live in fear because that's a bad reflection on Him as our Father. It makes Him look like He can't be trusted as a Father to take care of us. So God clearly tells us He doesn't give us the spirit of fear. 2 Timothy 1.7 said, For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. For those of you taking notes, that's 2 Timothy 1.7. For God hath not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. If I were to judge what I'm hearing and seeing as the reaction of people who claim that Jesus is Lord, I would say I'm watching a lot of minds that don't seem sound. What's a sound mind? A sound mind is a disciplined, self-controlled, properly prioritized mind. A disciplined, self-controlled, properly prioritized mind. What is it disciplined? What is it controlled by? What is it properly prioritized on? The fact that Jesus is Lord. And that if I've accepted him as Lord, then I'm a child of God that lives as a child under the protective and provisional care of my Father in heaven, which is above anything on this earth, which is higher than any man who has power above all people. Because Jesus is Lord. Not for anything that I've done, but because Jesus is Lord and I've accepted him. Now, let me give you well, let me give you one more. Romans 8, 15. You know that verse. For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear. And isn't that what fear does? For you have not received the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption, whereby we cry, Abba, Father. What is he saying? He's saying, child of God, Christian, when you were saved, you received the Holy Spirit, but you didn't receive the spirit of fear. You didn't receive the spirit of fear that keeps you in bondage. You've received the spirit of adoption, which means you have become God's child, which allows you, instead of fearing, to say, Father, I've got this problem. Father, I can see this coming. Does it say that you won't be concerned? Absolutely not. Concern is a part of your physical and mental makeup. If you're not concerned about anything, you're apathetic. You're not going to do any good to anybody. That's what causes you to act. But concern and worry and fear are different. Let me share some truth with you. This truth will strengthen you. Now, what I'm sharing with you is validated truth from God's Word. If you've made Jesus your Lord, then you are a child of God. You do not need to live in fear of what's happening around you, what you think is going to happen. You need to live in the security of knowing that your Heavenly Father is in control. And as a child of God, you are ultimately protected. Amen. Amen. Psalms 91. Just listen. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Surely He shall deliver thee 
From the snare of the fowler, from noisome pestilence, he shall cover thee with his feathers, and under his wings thou shalt trust. His trust, his truth, shall be thy shield and thy buckler. Thou shalt not be afraid by the terror at night, nor for the air that flies by the day, nor for the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. A thousand shall fall at thy side, and ten thousand at thy right hand, but it shall not come near you. Only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Because thou hast made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation. There shall no evil befall thee, neither shall any plague come nigh thy dwelling. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in thy ways. They shall bear thee up in their hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. Thou shalt tread upon the lion, the adder, the young lion, the dragon. Shall thou trample under feet. Now this is God speaking in verses 14 through 16. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me. I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. Listen to this truth. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. The secret place of the Most High. The secret place is that intimate place of divine protection. Divine protection, why? Well, it's the secret place of the Most High. The Most High describes God's sovereign power over anything and everything. Nothing can overpower Him. That thing that we've had on our mind that seems so big we don't know how we're going to get through it is not bigger than God's power to handle it. But when our mind moves to the place of worry or fear because we can't understand or we can't fathom how we'll get through it, then we have left the place of truth, which is Jesus is Lord, which brings us under the protection of Father God, who keeps us in the secret place of his divine protection. And worry and fear have their way with us. The shadow of the Almighty. Listen to the different imagery that's used here. The secret place of the Most High. The shadow of the Almighty. What is the shadow? We think the shadow is just where light isn't shining, but the shadow here is used as a metaphor to explain the place out of the oppressive sun. You've been in the shadow before, stepped into the shadow when it was very hot outside, right? You've stepped into the shade. And that's what he's talking about, the shade. Shade. The shade doesn't seem like a big deal, but when it's oppressively hot, the shade is that place of rest, isn't it? You know, when we're working outside, and I think about our stay-at-home, our stay-at-home missions that we're on, those days that got up to be close to 100 and the heat was oppressive, did we take our break in the sun? No. We took our break in the shade. It was protective. Not many people will die of heat exhaustion in the shade. It's that place of of rest. He uses this imagery because when you're dealing with a problem, when you're dealing with trouble, it's oppressive. It can wear you out. He said, you'll dwell in the shadow of the Almighty. The shadow is a picture 
of the place of care and protection. And he moves on in verse 2. And this is what the psalmist is declaring. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge, my fortress, my God. In Him will I trust. Now I want you to hear the disparage here between what the psalmist is saying, who is clearly depending on God, and what we hear a lot of Christians saying. The psalmist is saying, I will say to the Lord, now he's in a state of situational despair. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge, he is my fortress, my God, in him will I trust. It's a statement of confidence. Well, that's not really your most popular little YouTube videos out there right now, those confidence statements depending on the Lord, is it? Nobody's calling to share them with me. That's why I thought it'd be good to share them tonight so we become a YouTube video. (laughs) Right? Listen to what he says. I will say of the Lord. Now this is him speaking, him proclaiming, he is my refuge. Definition of refuge, a safe shelter from pursuit, from danger, Refuge, a safe shelter from pursuit, from danger, and from trouble. Now, when you've heard some news that you've heard, which shelter did you run to? Did you run to the stronghold in your mind of worry? Or did you run to the fortress, your refuge, your shelter that kept you with a confidence that says, He will protect me no matter what trouble comes. The next thing, he's my fortress. That is the stronghold. What is a fortress? It's a a, a place of safety from the enemy. But then he says, he is my God. I will say of the Lord, he is my God. A statement of who you worship. Not a statement of who you voted for. Not a statement of who who you think is going to straighten everything out. It's a statement of who you worship. It's a statement of who you really depend on. You see, we get sidetracked depending on people to protect us or depending on people to go and make our way for us. But God said, don't depend on people, depend on me. The psalmist is saying, I will say, he is my God. He's my refuge. He's my fortress. He's my God. This is who I worship. Now listen, in him will I trust. The psalmist is saying, and listen, I proclaim that I depend on God Almighty to keep me safe when trouble comes. It's hard to say and to act out that I depend on God Almighty to keep me safe when trouble comes and at the same time express the worry and the fear that we have been having. If you trust in the refuge, if you trust in the fortress, if you trust in your God, then you will not be overcome with fear and worry. Verses 3 through 6, the psalmist speaks of the Dangers that cause us to worry and not trust. Surely, 
And I love the way he starts this. Isn't that a confident word? Surely he shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler and from the noisome pestilence. The snare of the fowler. Fowler is someone who traps birds. This is a picture of God delivering his child from any trap or plot intended to endanger the life of the believer. Now, this is important here. God uses this imagery. I will deliver you from the snare of the fowler. Well, the fowler uses a trap. He even calls it a snare. That is a plot. That is a scheme to catch the bird. That is a plan set forth, a trap. So that's clear, right? What I see Christians fearing the most is that there is some plot or scheme or trap that is going to catch us and destroy us. And the psalmist is saying, he will deliver me from the, from the fowler's snare. Surely he will deliver me. And from the noisome pestilence. This is a reference to diseases and plagues. This is a statement of confidence from the believer. The trap may be set. The plot may be carried out by the enemy. The disease or the plague may come. We see all those things happening. But God will deliver us out of it. He will not destroy it. We have an ultimate deliverance from God in this life and past this life. I want you to notice again the important confidence. Surely he will deliver me. The psalmist has it right. And I want to let you know this early on into the chapter because when God chimes in in verses 14 through 16, he is saying, because of the way that you have shown your love to the way that you believe, I will pour my love on you. Verse 4, he shall cover you with his feathers. Under his wings shall thou trust. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. This is a protection, a picture of the protection of that parent bird and their young. How many people have witnessed that before? Doesn't matter whether it's a chicken, doesn't matter whether it's a, a goose, it doesn't matter what it is. That bird pulls their young up underneath them and protects them, right? And I think it's a beautiful picture because when you're up underneath the wings, you're the best place you need to be. You're not seeing anything. You're just resting in the wings. Isn't that a beautiful picture that God gives us? He shall cover you with his feathers and under his wings shall thou trust. I'm under here, I can't see anything, but I know you've got me. His truth shall be thy shield and buckler. I think about the psalmist David when he was on the run from Saul and Saul was truly trying to kill him. He had people sent out as mercenaries to hunt him down. He was hiding in caves. And in Psalms 57, David writes, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for my soul trusts in you. And in the shadow of your wings, I will make my refuge until these calamities have passed by. Well, this is strong. When I went back and, and, and referenced Psalms 57, he was saying, he wasn't saying there were no calamities. He wasn't saying that there wasn't a trap the same way that, that in Psalms 91. He didn't say that 
that there wasn't a trap. He said he would deliver you from the trap. He doesn't say there wasn't a plan against you. He said he would deliver you from the plan. But the psalmist David said, I'll stay under his wings until, and and notice this, if you want to write this down on your notes, Psalms 57.1, until the calamities pass by. You heard that, right? I'll stay under here until it goes away. There'll be a new trouble that comes when that trouble goes away, but the psalmist knows where he needs to go until that one passes away. It's not a place of worry. It's not a place of fear. It's a place of complete dependence and trust under the wings of Father God. The end of verse 4, Psalms 91, this interesting statement, his shield, his truth shall be thy shield and buckler. His truth. What class are we in? Somebody remind me. His truth, his truth. The truth of what? The truth that Jesus is Lord. The true nature of God. The truth of the person of God. The truth of the power of God and the promises of God will be a shield for us when we're being attacked. Now, it doesn't say you won't be attacked. It says you'll have a shield when you are attacked. A shield for what? Well, this imagery of physical attack. If someone were to throw something at me or attack me, I have something in defense. Physical attack. That physical imagery is what I see, but this is not a physical shield. The attack doesn't happen on my body. The attack happens on my mind, on your mind. Remember, we go back to the strongholds in our mind, right? We go back to where the devil wants to attack us. This shield is for our mind. It's for our heart. It's for what we believe and what we think. Just like that shield of faith that Paul talks about it in Ephesians 6.14. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith you shall be able to quench the fiery darts of the wicked. doesn't say we will not get shot at. It says we have a shield to protect us when we do get shot at. It's as if we want to pretend that something's wrong when we when we join ourselves with God and we get shot at. Can you believe they're saying that? Can you believe they're doing this against us? Yes. I've read the Bible and since the beginning, since the beginning of Jesus' ministry, it's been attacked. The early Christians were attacked. Down through the ages, they've been attacked. But Jesus is Lord. And this Bible has stood the test of times. It's been on the bestseller list ever since it came out. People have given their life to protect this and take it to places. You had a man that lived 33 and a half years on this earth who was the most influential person that ever walked the foot on this earth. Do you realize there are people talking about him all over the world today? He's the most discussed person ever. What he said has been quoted more than any other person alive has ever quoted anything. 
He's Lord. And what God has given us as far as truth, well, that's our shield to protect our mind. These new things that are coming at us, they're new things all the time. Something that you just happen to hear. We're afraid of something today that we didn't even think about a year ago. Amen? But yet the God that said he can protect us from anything, he wrote this over 2,000 years ago, the particular part we're reading. Nothing new to him. He gives us the truth as a shield. His truth shall be a shield and buckler. Verses 5 and 6 of Psalms 91. This is a direct command. Christian, listen. Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor for the arrow that flieth by day, nor for the pestilence that worketh in darkness, nor for the destruction that wasteth at noonday. These are big verses. If you're truly trusting and depending on God, he is saying you will not be afraid. You say, well, pastor, I don't know what to tell you. I truly trust and depend on God and I'm still afraid. What do you say about that? I would say you don't truly trust and depend on God. I would say it to me. I would say it to you. When I look back and I think about the times that I'm afraid, in those times with my mindset and what I'm processing, no, I'm not truly depending on God because I'm living in a fear without putting that truth that Jesus is Lord and God is, God is taking care of this. Is there times I'm concerned? Absolutely, but my concern doesn't have to take me to fear and worry. My concern can take me to my refuge, to my fortress, to the place under the wings, to my God, to the place that, that I, I know that I'm safe. And I can be concerned but not afraid. And then we try to minimize it and give this humble kind of explanation. Well, I'm not afraid for me. I'm afraid for my kids and my grandkids. What would you say then? I would say that you don't trust and depend on God for your kids and grandkids. Not me saying it. Sounds like the psalmist is saying it, Right? You can leave here and not take my word, but you're judged by his word. The Bible says, Thou shalt not be afraid of the terror by night, nor the air that flieth by day, nor the pestilence that walketh in darkness, nor the destruction that wasteth at noonday. If you believe in God's sovereign power over everything, if you believe that he is your Lord, If you're making him your refuge, your fortress, if you're under his wing, if you're confident in him delivering you from any trap or plot to destroy you, if you're using your faith and trust in him as your shield, now I just went back through the first several verses we read. If you're doing this, then you will not be afraid of the things you can't see, which is the terror by night and the things that you can see, which is the airs that fly by day. You see, this is especially timely 
in him saying, you will not be afraid. Because he's saying you will not be afraid of the known or the unknown. When we see so many people living in fear of the known and the unknown today, if God is all these things to us, then we don't need to be afraid of the known or the unknown. I don't know that I would have predicted this just in my logical thought, but I would have always thought that I would be more afraid of what I know. But the more that I have an opportunity to be in ministry, I, I see that fear comes more from the unknown. Why does fear come more from the unknown? Because we make up the rest of the story. Don't we? I can't tell you the times I've sat and let someone go through everything and had to reel them back to the, the point of, and if this happens. We make up the rest. We put it in that stronghold and it becomes that place of worry. If you're a child of God, he said, you can put all of it in the fortress, all of it in the, in the refuge. You can rest under my wings. But he said, you do not have to be afraid. His words, not mine. These next verses tell us to have confidence in the result that God will bring to pass no matter what kind of odds you face. And I love this. I've quoted these verses so many times when my problem seems bigger or the opposition seems great. He said, a thousand shall fall at thy side and 10,000 at thy right hand. But listen, but it shall not come near you. Explain that. You can't. But he gives us a picture of being somewhere and being in battle. And 10,000 fall right here. Or 1,000 fall at our side. 10,000 fall at our right hand. But it doesn't say that they fell because of anything we did. It actually says they won't even be able to come near you. What does that mean? That means that God is showing us in Psalms 91, there is a true hedge of protection that God can put around his child. Why wouldn't there be if the image of a fortress and the image of a refuge and the image of the wings, think about what he's saying. It ought to be giving you chills about now, right? He's showing a picture of something unexplainable, something invisible. These verses are a picture of God's protection no matter how much evil you see around you, no matter how many people you see coming against you, God has the power to protect you. If I've heard it once, I've heard it a thousand times as people we're talking about how bad it's going to be if the numbers don't go on the political side they want them to go on because then, then they're going to have a majority and they're going to be outnumbered. And What if these states and they get this and they get this? Those numbers don't mean a thing to God. Glory to God. They don't mean a thing to Him. Why? God is sovereign most high above any man's power. Numbers don't matter to him. I'll tell you what. 
Go back sometime. Read the book of 2 Kings chapter 19. There was an evil king of Assyria. His name was Sennacherib. And he was going to attack Hezekiah. And they were all scared because he had this mighty army, right? Mighty army. So if we're going to post the army against his army, what are we going to do? And Hezekiah went to the Lord and cried out to the Lord. Listen, God didn't need Hezekiah's army to do a thing. God sent one angel that killed 185,000 soldiers and Sennacherib also, and they had to turn tail the rest of them and run. One angel. Jesus said, I could have called 10,000 angels to deliver me out of the hands and off the cross, but I didn't, right? God's in control. Numbers don't mean a thing to him. That's why he said 10,000 can fall here. 1,000 here, 10,000 there. But our problem gets big when we make it big. You know why? Because of these thoughts. When you put one thought of worry into the stronghold, another thought of worry into the stronghold, another thought of worry into the stronghold, and then you get with other people that are feeding you this worry and this worry, and then you hear this news today and it confirms that, then all of a sudden you're mounting your own numbers against the truth of God. And God forbid that it's, it's reinforced by other people that are believers. It's important for us to see today since we clearly see the number of people that are against God. We talk about it all the time. I don't know what we're going to do. This world's getting worse and worse. There's so many evil people. Did you hear what happened here? Yes, God's seeing it all. And he's still going to win. But I want you to notice something. This is important. Because God's telling us he can protect us no matter who comes against us for our belief. He can protect us. He can actually keep them from coming near. I could share you missionary stories of things that you just wouldn't explain of God's hand of providence where he's protected people to get his word out. But look at verse 8. This is big. You might miss this verse in Psalms 91, but I want you to see this. He says, only with thine eye shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Now, we get confused. The reward of the wicked is punishment, okay? He says, only with your eyes, only with thine eyes shall thou behold and see the reward of the wicked. Now, this comes after verse 7 that says, a thousand shall fall at thy side, ten thousand at thy right hand but it shall not come near you. Only your eyes shall behold and see the reward. I want you to understand what he's trying to tell us here, okay? It's an important statement. God is reminding us that he and only he can protect us. He can protect us if we're willing to depend. You see, the chick has to run under the wing. The person has to go to the fortress. The person has to trust in the refuge. If they go there, then they can be protected. If they depend and trust, then they can be protected. Now, what is their job? How are they going to do? How are they going to be able to overcome the enemy? They're not able to overcome the enemy. They're able to rest in his power to overcome the enemy. So much so that he makes this statement that says, if you come into my fortress under my wing, a thousand will fall at your side, 10,000 at your right hand. Only your eyes shall behold what? The reward of the wicked. He's saying, you, my friend, are only a spectator. 
This is your statement of humility before you think that you're going to go out and change the course of everything. You are a spectator. You're expected to stand with what I say, but you're a spectator. Only your eyes will be able to see the reward of the wicked. What does he say? You stick with me. Now, you won't have anything to do with what happens as far as keeping the people from you, but you will see these other people that stood against me. You will see them punished. It lets me see something else, too. Sometimes there's this place in me where I get this feeling that I'm some champion of God and I want to be a champion of God, don't you? But I feel like God will have me help, help punish these people. <laughs> oh, don't judge me. Can I get a witness? Huh? God, what do you want me to do? You know? I punish them. You know what he said? You're a spectator. You will only stand and watch with your eyes me reward the wicked. Now think about that. Put that statement in the context of the atmosphere that you see with everybody wanting to reward what they see as evil and punish it themselves. You stand for God. Romans 12 said that vengeance is his. He will repay, saith the Lord. It says not to return evil for evil. Why? Because vengeance is God's. Whatever you think you could do is nothing compared to God's judgment. You're supposed to turn it over to him. What, all of a sudden? You know what we look like? We look like that, that little dog that stands behind the big dog. And then when somebody else leaves the yard, we run out and yap real quick, right? Right? Like we're going to say it. It's exactly what you look like. It's not yours to punish. You stand with the truth, but it's not yours to punish. Why? You're a spectator. Only your eyes will see him reward the wicked. Verse 9 and 10. Because you have made the Lord, which is my refuge, even the most high, thy habitation, there shall no evil befall thee, neither shall there be any plague come nigh your dwelling. This is big. These verses affirm the result of our obedience to depend on God. Since you have truly made the Lord your refuge, since you view him as the most high, having power over anything that comes against you, and since you've made him your habitation, your dwelling place, you will have a hedge of protection around you. You've been concerned. Me too. This is natural. But in your concern, you didn't fear. And you didn't try to handle it with your own knowledge or ability. Because you made the Lord your dwelling pace. You moved yourself and your situation into his power and his ability. And you truly trusted and depended on him. When you did this, you were given a hedge of protection. A force field, if you will. Invisible hedge. As a child of God. Oh, well, even now, 
there will be some that say, well, hey, I wasn't given a hedge of protection against this and I wasn't given a hedge of protection against this. What are you saying? Well, I'm not here to judge you and I don't expect you to judge me. But I know that there are times when I haven't truly depended on God. I wouldn't expect to have that hedge, that force field. There are times when I, I know I've truly depended on him and I had to go through something, but coming out on the other end of it, it was something that I needed to go through. I don't begin to question his will any more than Job did when he said, hey, Job, where were you when I hung the earth on its axis, right? Where were you when I told the sun how to rise, right? So I want you to look at this force field. You hear people say a hedge of protection, right? I want you to look at this force field because the psalmist describes this unseen force field, this unseen hedge protection that God gives those who truly trust and depend on him. You ready? Verses 11 through 13. For he shall give his angels charge over thee to keep thee in all thy ways. He will put his angels around you to guard you and protect you wherever you're at. How about that? This is not some fable. This is Psalms 91. Now, do you see those angels? No, it's, it's an invisible force field. They shall bear thee up with thy hands, lest you dash your foot against a stone. What does that mean? They will lift you up and take you out of the way of trouble. Thou shalt tread upon the lion, the cobra, the young lion, the dragon, which means the serpent. You shall trample them underfoot. What is this? The psalmist describes this invisible protection that God wants us to see. He wants us to have confidence that we're protected if we depend on him. This confidence is in the power of God, not in the power of ourselves. And that's why you see the sin even go through the back door sometimes. And what are you talking about? You know, Satan used these same verses to tempt Jesus in Matthew chapter 4, verse 6. But Jesus said, well, Satan... Thou shalt not tempt the Lord thy God. What do you mean? Well, you see, Satan used this to be able to spur the sin of arrogance in Jesus. What do you mean? He said, hey, Jesus, and read Matthew 4 sometimes. I'll take you to the pinnacle of the temple. Go ahead and cast yourself off. Didn't the scripture say? That God would give you angels, charge over you, so that you won't dash your foot against a stone? Well, yeah, he did. Well, I'll just do this. I'll do this. I've got this force field around me. You see, that's why I'm, I'm making sure I tell you this. You don't test God by forcing his hand. And Jesus said, you don't force God to deliver you because he gave you a brain that said, if you jump off the top of this building and hit the ground, you're going to die. So you don't force God's hand no more than you force his hand, even in a time like this, when you say, no matter what, God's going to protect me. God's going to protect me. He's not going to let any of these things happen to me. If you try to force God's hand, don't expect his force field to be around you. Because 
You're going through the back door with this sin and tempting God. No different than the people that say, hey, listen, here's the way we're going to worship God. We're going to handle snakes so you can see these snakes aren't going to bite us and we're not going to die because of this. And this means that we're in tune with God, right? Not a lot of old people doing that. (laughs) Why? Because the snakes bite you and you die. Because you forced God's hand in the name of your own arrogance saying, I'm at this spot with God to where he's going to protect me. You're tempting God. They say, well, Paul, he handled a snake. He happened to stick his hand in a snake pile in the end of Acts 28 and it bit him. And God was showing when it happens by accident, I've got you. But if you on purpose try to do this to promote yourself, I don't have you. A lot of people disagreed with that. I stand on it. God will deliver us from trouble, but we're not to consciously put ourselves in trouble or danger, forcing God's hand to deliver us. Now, verses 14 through 16, I'll close as the psalmist closes. God's speaking here. He describes the blessing and protection that he gives to those that believe in him, to those that love him, to those that put their complete trust and dependence in him. This is not just the person that's saved. It's the person that's saved and truly trusting him with their life. And I want to reiterate this. We think, and you can leave here tonight saying, hey, listen, I know I'm saved, so God's got a force field around me. No, it's the person that's saved and is truly dependent on God. God's not going to reward our lack of trust. He's going to reward our obedience and trust. It's the person that's saved and truly depending on God. God sees our trust to put ourselves in his complete care. He sees that we're depending on him instead of worrying and fearful. When he sees we're truly not afraid. When he looks at our trust in him as evidence that we truly love him. You say, you think he does that? I mean, I I would as a father, as a parent. So I told you to begin with, we really discredit his name if we say we trust him, but then we live in worry and fear. I think it's pretty awesome, the first several words of this section of Scripture where God speaks in verse 14 through 16. Remember, this is God speaking here. And he's talked this whole time about dependence and trust. He said this, remember. Remember what he said. Because he had set his love upon me. Now, he didn't talk about trust. He didn't talk about the fortress. He didn't talk about the refuge. He put all that into one category because he's speaking to the psalmist because he put his love in me. The way that we show God we love him is to truly trust him and depend him. When we show that we're afraid, when we show it by worry and fear, we're not showing God we love him. Because he hath set his love upon me, therefore will I deliver him. 
I will set him on high because he hath known my name. He shall call upon me and I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will deliver him and honor him. With long life will I satisfy him and show him my salvation. I will be with him in trouble. And I listened to this about God describing in one psalm his protective hand and all he's asking me to do is what? The same thing he always asked me to do. Believe it and then show my belief through my life. Believe it and show my belief through, through my life. And what did he say he'll do? Well, you, you heard the benefits. Not only, not only is he going to put me under his wings and let me stay in his fortress and be with me during trouble. He's going to let me be able to see things I can't even explain. When trouble get, comes against me, I'm going to be able to see things happen. I'm just a spectator. You think there's something in us that thinks that we have more power than we really do that makes us want to be more than a spectator? I think there is. But God said, I want you to be fully dependent on me. Now, you can only answer this question for yourself. It's Wednesday night Bible study. But I've given you the truth, validated by the word. This is not a hypothesis and this is not a theory. This is the truth according to God, according to his word. If your truth is Jesus is Lord, then you should have been able to write the first 13 verses. Do they coincide with your life? If they don't, then you realize it right now. And now is the time to go to the Father. Get up under his wing. Father God, I love you. I praise you. I thank you for who you are. I thank you, Lord, for the confidence that you can give us. I thank you, God, that you can take fear away and we can rest in your hand, Lord, knowing that you have us. I pray, God, that for, for every believer that's listening tonight, Lord, and I know this has been to believers, but to every believer, God, that's listening tonight, I pray, God, that we could look and see if we could have written those first 13 verses and you would have given us that answer. And if not, Lord, show us what we need to do. I want to put my total dependence, my total trust. I'm done with fear. I'm done with being afraid. Lord, let that be the prayer. Answer that prayer for your children tonight, God, so that we can show you how much we love you. So that even though the world goes on around us, we will not be those people that are, that are being afraid or sharing fear with anybody else, God. Give us that confidence where we can be the light in this dark world. We know, God, that you're going to keep your word. We rest in your promises. In Jesus' name, amen.